I've owned Mastiffs for about 20 years now of different, all different forms. I've also trained. I do rescue. I've owned many other breeds. I have a Bull Terrier Doberman standing in front of me right now. I have a Bull Terrier right behind me, in fact. I not only love my Neapolitan Mastiffs, but I enjoy many breeds and have owned quite a few different breeds throughout the years. I would consider myself, in a way, a functional hoarder because I have 11 in this house right now. <laughs> That's just being kind of tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, I have two that are with me right now who are hoarding. Oh, my old dog is about to get on the couch, actually. This is just to kind of show. This is my my old dog, oh. uh, Doberman, dog I used to work many years ago, but he's 13. I actually went to a dog show and put my hands on a couple of Neos at that show. And then I, w- I was that. I, that's what I wanted to get into. I saw some definite need within the breed to want to kind of pull back and go back to a little bit more of what the original purpose was, as well as type. Now, when I talk about type in my breed, breed type for Neapolitans is the wrinkles, that loose skin, and bone. You know, of course, being into Neapolitans, I have to say that, obviously, I have no issue with wrinkles or bone because if I did, I, I would have corsos, but I didn't want something that would affect the dog's life. And I saw a lot of dogs that they couldn't see because they had too much skin or they needed a lot of upkeep. So I kind of started pulling back, even in my own program, because I've had typey dogs. I own typey dogs now, but I use them as a part of my puzzle and select accordingly off of each generation towards a little bit more of the, I would say, like the late 80s, early 90s dog. I still want some wrinkle so that there is some separation between my breed within Neos and then the Corsi, which are basically a, a sister breed to mine. Because, of course, I prefer to work dogs. I also want dogs perform so i do some endurance trials i do drag work i live on a farm we have a little over 30 acres so i want dogs who can be dogs first and foremost i don't really want a dog that i have to bathe every two weeks and constantly clean out their eyes you know that's just doesn't it doesn't interest me now many years later i'm closer to the dogs that i'm looking for Basco, which is chemical warfare. He's actually retired from working now. He's he's seven, but I've been working him for the last five, six years, and he's probably closest to what I'm trying to get towards. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the pictures that you used were quite a bit of him. <laughs> and then his sister, Chupacabra. I've, I've actually, my one of my closest friends, she breeds Corsi, and I've had one in the house with me in her last breeding, and it was it was interesting to see the differences. One of the things that I have noticed between the two breeds is the Corso people have selected for very specific purposes. So the dog's brain is kind of set in a, a certain fashion. Where the Neo, like one of the reasons why I was drawn to the Neo in the first place is they're one of the most intelligent masters that I've come across. And I think the reason being is because people really haven't messed with their brains and, and been kind of focusing on very specific capabilities. So the Neo is kind of the dog that people would just have and it would kind of roam around and be in the yard or be in the house, but they, they didn't select for so purpose. And I find that the first dog, they're very nice dogs, but they don't have the, the same mind as, you know, 
not to say that that's positive or negative for someone else, but for me, I really like the, the mind of the meal more than any other dog I've come across. One of the things that I have noticed is the Corso obviously is smaller in general, but then they, they have a little bit more ability because of that. And it's one of the things that I, I personally try to pull back and strive towards because I don't want to lose ability because of size. I want the dog to be able to perform. You know, if it, 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 120 pounds can do it, then I want to be able to pull back towards closer to a, a slightly smaller dog and not have an 80-pound dog can't climb, you know, four feet. Obviously, the head type is definitely different. The body structure is also different. We call for a longer body. Of course, a little bit more shorter back. In general, you can find both of the dogs within each other. You can see Neo. If you look at Bosco's head planes, he has head planes closer to a Corso. And then you can see Corso that look like Neo's because came out of the same litter at one point. They, they were the same dog, just selected away from each other for different purposes. And I'm sure there's a lot of people using Neos in their Corso programs still to this day. The Corso and the Neo is basically a, a band dog on pedigree. So depending on where the dogs were from, dictates what was used behind them. So, you know, if you're looking at Italian dogs first, dogs from Italy first, dogs from Spain even, you know, and here, there's been different dogs used within them, and I have no problem with that. I'm here to tell you, I do not care. I want to look at the dog itself and be able to see what it is. You know, I obviously want my dogs to look like Neos. I don't want them to look like Rottweilers. If I wanted them to look like Rottweilers, I would have a Rottweiler. But I'm not sitting here saying that we should all turn around and start outcrossing, bringing in a ton of different issues, because every time you outcross, you are potentially bringing in issues from another breed. But in the same point, I, I can see a lot of differences within each breed and within my own. Every time I import or bring a dog in, depending on where it's from, I, I kind of bank on the fact that I, I may be bringing in something else with it. I find that over the years, I try my hardest not to burn bridges with anyone because um, I use show dogs all day long. I show my dogs as well, and I use typey dogs. So I am the first one to tell you that the dog world is very small and, and people pay attention. And people remember there is a, a flush of people about every seven years. There's people who stick around, so you have to be careful with what you do within the breed because if you burn one bridge, you may not be able to cross the next because that could have been their friend. I try to just enjoy my dogs and, and, and focus on what I'm trying to do and say please and thank you every time I, I need to use someone else's stomach. We had very little issues within the breed. Cancer. Obviously, I'd like a little bit more longevity with my breed, too, but cancer has been the most difficult thing for me. And just all the different kinds of cancer I've ran into, something as strange as lung cancer, which obviously is odd within dogs. The breed in general, I find that if you're able to put your head down and, and just move forward and find some like-minded individuals, you can can get a group of people. I mean, it's taken me years. Like I said, there was, there was a time when 
I, I couldn't I couldn't find anyone who wanted to work with me because of, of wanting to work with me. There's actually quite a few people who are wanting to do more with their dolls. And I mean, for me, I don't care if you're doing nose work, if you're doing tracking, or if you're doing just do something. And I'm just something with them. I love doing a nose work. It's one of my favorites. Actually, Bosco is the title nose work champion. Tomorrow, going to a seminar for nose work. Dogs really enjoy it. I, Let's them use their brain. Okay, so are we going to talk about the fantasy end, or do you want to talk about the what my opinion on the real deal would be? The fantasy end is, for me, they, they believe that it was just resurrected off of a couple dogs, and it was one of the original molasses, the original Coliseum dog. Okay, you know... I'm a neo lover, but let's be real here. There's little chance of a, a neo on, on how they look today being a dog that they would use during the Coliseum. I would believe that it would be something far more cat-like in a lot of ways, something that would be less upkeep, less feed. Because that's, that's definite when you're working with mastiffs. I go through two to four 40-pound bags of food a week, depending on if I'm feeding any raw mixed in. So I don't see dogs like that being used, you know, in quite a few and a lot would make far more sense. So the Neo is a land race. That's how it started. Same with the Corso. It was a dog that was basically a dog that had a specific look that lived in the area that people used on farms. They used them for all different purposes. You can find articles where they're talking about having them in carts. You can find articles where they're talking about just like gentlemen's games, basically where they would have the dogs bite on a rope, pull the rope up on a balcony and see how long the dog would hold onto the rope. <laughs> that would be totally something I would see a couple of Italian men sit around and do while they're drinking their espresso. But generally when you go over there, what you see is you see yards and you see fencing. And the reason being is because it's very common for gypsies to go through areas as they're traveling and they basically will strip anything of worth out of your yard or out of your house if they can get to it. So the Neo was made to be kept in the places to keep people from coming in and taking things from where the Corso, the separation was the Corso went to the farm. It went and worked in the farm and helped doing, doing farm floors. The Neo was the estate dog that was kept at the house, basically chained up, was told to go over there, stay out of the way, but keep other people from coming in and taking their stuff. And, and that's that's basically what the majority of it was. As soon as the breed was created, you know, it, it started to be shown over there, and they started kind of getting together and doing different things. Originally, the dog was not supposed to be touched. They weren't checking the bite. They were looking at them physically, how their body was built, their overall appearance, and the temperament was supposed to be, in some ways, very similar to an LGD, defensive. Mm -hmm. So you weren't putting your hands in their mouth. Obviously, over the years, because of registry and showing, they have changed the temperament a bit to make it a little bit more handleable for the general public. They were always supposed to be, and they still are. Most breeders are very, especially I, I am the same way. I have a, a daughter. They're supposed to be good with children. 
first and foremost, they're supposed to be good family dogs. They should be, be able to be kept within the house and allow their people around. It's funny because if you're around, they're fine with people coming in and out. You know, if you introduce them, they're like, okay, cool. But if you're not here, they, I mean, even my father, they don't, no, I want him in the house. They won't allow him in the house. They'll bounce off the windows. As soon as I walk up, it's totally fine. They take it very seriously. And that's, that's how they're supposed to be. They're supposed to want to protect their property. One of the things that I find about them is anything they touch in their mind, they feel like they own it which makes them good at that job because they're like, well, this is mine. And since this is mine, I have to have to own it. And so their house, they guard it, their yard, they guard it. Um, they're better off property in that way, you know, because it's, it's not theirs. And if you're out and moving it out and about, they're pretty stoic. They're supposed to be not overly friendly, but allow you to walk up and, allow you to say hi. And, and that's kind of what I like. I, I like the dog that, you know, I'm not having to drag away from other people at the same turn, you know, isn't running up and acting like a retriever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we'll see. It depends on the line. I, I have a record even with my pack. So I am very careful with who goes together. They're known to be same-sex aggressive. I find that you can tell fairly young how they're going to be as an adult. So I, when I tell a dog, I place them accordingly. Some are completely fine. Mm -hmm. pretty early. Others, you can also tell fairly early they're not. Like Bosco's litter, for example, that litter was probably one of my more sharp litters. At five weeks, I had them in crates because they were drawing blood on each other. And when I was trying to break up the fights, they were fighting me just the same, you know, five weeks old. And if I would have left them together, they would have killed each other. I always, when, when I'm placing dogs, I won't place them in homes typically if they have same sex, unless there is a large size difference and that dog is going to follow. If the Neos want to be the kids. So if, if you're going to place them with another dominant breed, you're going to have problems. If you're going to place them with a breed, it's like, cool, whatever, you can be a boss. It's, it's fine. You know, it, it depends on the dog, of course. And Aragon, for example, he was pretty low-key and not dog aggressive. Anything that I've had out of the Panzan line has been a little bit more sharp. But I like that. The Anachronismo, the De La Bahia, that is, a, I find, a little bit sharper of the lines. And you can see some pretty sharp Castellacho dogs. But then, you know, if you're looking at Delcano, which is at the melting pot, um, those are a little bit more low-key, so you're able to kind of select accordingly. I have one female who's just fantastic. I could put her just about with anyone. And and those are nice dogs to have around. She still turns on. She reacts accordingly, but just doesn't have that, that need to want to fight. Where Britannia, my oldest Neo, she's 10. That's Bosco and Chupacabra's mom. She is, that's what... Her goal in life is she would like to fight everyone and be the dog on the top of the pile. I'm still now at 10. I have a granddaughter, and she's about the same way. So it's it's difficult because from coming from pit bulls and dealing with that early on and then moving on to a much larger breed who has the same reactions, I'm like, you know, 
it, it's it's so interesting because you see so many breeds that correlate. And even though that this isn't as much talked about within Neos, it's there. They're much happier being one or two dogs in the house than being in a pack. No, you can't. Yeah. Genetic, it truly is. I'm I'm here to tell you. You know, as, as someone who's had a lot of different breeds, you can't stop it. You, you and, and what I've even found. That goes obviously I've bred to dogs who don't even have that within that, it still comes out. And find that it follows a specific look within my dogs. I can tell pretty early on the ones that have curated a look from Britannia and then another dog in the UK that we also brought that on that's actually Bosco's father. I I'm right off the bat, like Pork Chop, one of my youngest females who I work. She's she's very dog aggressive and you can tell, and and it is what it is. You just, as a dog person, you work around that, and it doesn't change how you train them. You know, dogs don't need other dog friends. They need our us. They they want to be with us as humans. The the whole thing where everyone thinks that your dog needs to go to the dog park and play with other dogs is is us humanizing our animals. I run a kennel, so like. For the safety of my animals, they're in six by eight runs. And, you know, they go out with their specific partners, if anyone. And I have dogs who don't go out with anyone, and, and they're fine with that. They don't want to be with anyone because that's that's how their mind is set up. Not, and I'm okay with that. And I think other people should be okay, too. If you're getting into a breed, you should know that breed. And if, if there's something that you don't like about it, why are you going to go into it and try to change it? Go towards another group of thousands of them. I've had dogs my whole life. I grew up with gun dogs. I come from a hunting family. My my dad hunts and my husband hunts. Everyone throughout my life, you know, we we had bull dogs, spaniels, retrievers, and the first time I came across a mastiff, actually, my aunt and uncle purchased one when I was a child. I fell in love with this. This bull mastiff, and I was going to have mastiffs when I'm older. My parents were like, "Well, we're not going to have a dog like that in our house. No. We we hunt, and that dog is not going to live here. No." So about 17, I got involved into pitbull rescue, and I worked through Pondnet and smaller cities in that area, going door to door, helping with people who. To take animals properly, essentially, and making sure that the dogs had their basic needs met. In there, waiting in place, I got my first dog at the door though. I went to the door to the and I got English and I got a Central Asian. And I just, I've always had dogs and animals, but always had examples. Probably I'm a little bit more. Um, probably why I've also been told to you know that like different types of animals. I've had pictures, um, um, and uh, <laughs> I also held a permit to hold wildlife in captivity. Um, I really like working with wildlife just because domesticated animals have a very specific mind when we cultivated that type of mind where they want to work with them when they want to bend towards with man. Where wildlife not have that at all. Mm-hmm. So totally different type of mind, and you have to kind of work with them. And it's 
in a lot of ways, you know, working with another human, you can't, I have 20 chickens outside too, and 10, and I just had 11 dogs, and maybe she was lighter, and uh, a couple of birds. So you'd never know, right now everyone's being quiet for some reason. That's it. <laughs> That's great. I've always, I've always had, I've always had a passion for animals. I've, I've always done rescue towards breeding over the last. And for me, I wanted to help a breed, and I wanted to work within a breed. And I feel like with pets, there's enough people in there who are very engrossed into the breed and, and doing quite well. There's so many of them in my area that I almost, I almost felt bad producing anymore. So I. I moved away from that. Plus, I, I liked the larger dog, and I liked the mind. And Danilo is probably one of the more, I mean, the LGDs are probably one of the, the most intelligent dogs, and I, I feel that a lot of that has to do with humans not changing them as much. And I find that Neos for Mastiffs are very intelligent, and I like that, and I like that, that the work that I have to involve into them to get them to want to do what I'm, my bidding. <laughs> Can you talk about, like, what what is the AKC standards now? Sure. You know, honestly, it's um, funny because our breed standard is really open. So, like, but the main thing that it asks for is that you have a minimal three wrinkles on the nose. It doesn't talk about how deep the wrinkles are. do not apron do that because the apron do that is what the English Mastiff has. When I'm speaking of a do that, the folds under the lips, essentially. Our breed standard, you know, also calls for obviously a cat like feet. A lot of people don't understand or interpret that properly, so we end up with a lot of large splayed feet. They should still be well knuckled because that's what holds up your dog. I, I really find that a lot of people don't pay attention in all breeds to the dog's feet. You know, feet are very important for any type of working animal. We we look for a longer bodied animal than what you see with the corso, a little bit lower of a tail foot as well. With I remove the ears. It's a preference of mine, but with the ears, we, we look for triangles that sit right, you know, no lower than the uh, jawline. They call for eyes being deep set. My preference is I actually breed towards a little bit more of a surface eyes. If you can't see the dog's eyes, it can't see you. If the eyes are uh, deeply set, this is skin folds around them, find that that creates kind of like horse blinders. Especially for someone who wants to work a dog, blinders are not the best thing. You want the dog to be able to see, you know, all around it so that it's able to bite properly and react properly and, and also not get startled because you happen to walk on the side of it. Our head type is what we ask for is the muzzle should be a box within the box. So the head should be square and then the muzzle is a square as well. We don't look for converging or, converging or diverging muzzle. We want parallel. Length of the muzzle, you know, you see a lot of differences. I actually like a little more length in my muzzle because of the fact that, you know, the shorter the muzzle, the less teeth you're going to have. 
lower chances of having breathing issues, which I, I, you know, as someone who wants to work a dog, obviously that's not something I want to go towards. Our breed, typically you're going to see them somewhere between about 20, 28 and 31 inches tall. I also find that as in all breeds, people like to exaggerate the size. But typically, Neos are going to be somewhere between 120 and 160 on average. Of course, there's been dogs that have been over 200 pounds. I've produced dogs that are under 100 pounds. The original Neo was never 180 pounds. They were smaller. So sometimes you get those throwbacks and you're like, okay, that's a 90-pound dog. As long as it's been within its body, I don't care about its weight. I think that there's way too much focus on a dog's size. Uh, you know, if, if you're focusing on the size and not focusing on the structure, there's definitely problems. You know, the body has to be able to hold up that weight. We ask for a flat top line, and we do like angulation within our rear. The, the top line, you know, really tells you, too, where the faults are within the dog. So if you're paying attention to the top line of an animal, Typically, if you see a, a dog that's roached, you're going to see a bad rear. Depending on where the break is within that top line, it will tell you. We ask for a long chest. We, we want a, a nice long dog. You'll see bone, which is like, you know, the size of, of the leg. It will vary within my breed. It's not really called within the standard. They just want the dog to carry substance. So... You'll see a lot of variation depending on that that dog and its line. Color, we have wide variation in colors. We have blue, black, which are the more traditional colors. Because the dog, you know, per the standard, they were supposed to be able to kind of disappear within the night. So if you're having a dog that's supposed to disappear when it's on sentry duty, then you don't want a dog that is tawny because tawny's blonde, by the way. That color almost glows. Our tawny color, they lose all pigmentation. They're very, very pale skin and kind of almost like a lime on color. It's very bright. And then we also have mahogany, which is kind of a brown, opposed to like the Dog de Bordeaux's red. We do not want mask on any of those colors. There should be no masks. We need some brindling in every color, white on the feet, white on the chest, but no white above the lip. Interesting. I don't think I've seen a brindle. You know, maybe I have, but I, yeah. I'm sure you have. It's just they're, they're not known to be heavily iPad brindles, meals, jays, and the dose with brindles, with brindles. Actually, the black female, Elysium, I think you had her video up where she was playing with the ball. She's brindled. Okay, okay. She's just not heavily brindled. Um, typically, the heavy, the more heavily brindled would be like a reverse brindle, and it almost looks like an English mastiff coat. We, that's not a preference in color for us. You'll just see some stripes, quote-unquote, and just some small pieces throughout the, the coat. How was your reception in the working dog community when you brought your Neos out for protection work? Well, you know, I, I work within a club, so the first time I showed up, you know, just previous to being a club, so, you know, I'm, I'm a small owner, 
and I weigh a buck twenty dripping wet. I showed up with Rickon was was the first uh, male neo I worked, and the woman told me I, I worked with a woman named Cheryl Carlson. She's a very long time I want to say dogman, but I mean she's probably one of the most old school dog people around anymore. She's awesome. She does German Shepherds, Malinois, and Dutchies. And part of her club now, which is Capital City Dog Sports. But when I showed up, the first thing she said was, if you drop that leash, you're off this field and I won't work your dog. Great. So, of course, me, I'm I'm sweating bullets because I'm like, man, I'm going to have to hold on to this animal come hell or high water. And I've been dragged down. I have, I have, I have slid through the mud and I have never let go of a leash to date ever. I get, it, it's hard because I kind of walk the fence between working community and show community. And I, on both sides, people kind of just grumble at me, you know, in the working community, it, actually Corso people have, have kind of been some of the roughest people because the local names aren't supposed to work. If your dog works, it's a Corso. Your dog looks like a Corso, and it's like, just because a dog has um, lighter type doesn't mean it's a Corso. Just because a Corso has heavy type, it doesn't make it a Neo. You know, there's very specific differences between each breed now. They're, they're different dogs. That's the cool thing about dog genetics is they're very easy to manipulate, and we've changed them throughout the years. And within the working community, I've been now working them for quite some time. In my small area, of people know me and people know my dogs and they they love my dogs and they, they're happy to see a Neo out working. Dog forums, you know, I used to get a little bit of grief and Facebook, of course, people are like, well, Neos don't work. You know, you're not working your dogs. You're just doing line work. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is a trial. And of course I must be doing line work at a trial because that makes sense. Unfortunately with Neos, it's like working side stands. So my dogs are never going to work like a Malinois because they're not a Malinois. They're going to work like their breed's going to work. They're big, they're cumbersome. Uh, it's definitely a different animal. They're they're kind of like, if, if you're thinking about it in like human form, you know, they would be like your... Yeah. I don't want to say a sumo wrestler in a lot of way, but they're going to be your heavy guys. They're going to be your bigger men opposed to your smaller, lighter, more agile, you know, jiu-jitsu fighters. Um, it's totally different people. Um, you know, obviously you're not going to put those two people together and, and think that they're going to be able to do the exact same things. But I try my hardest and I, I work my dogs right next to Malinois and Dutchies and Shepherds. Because I want my dogs to be able to compete with them. I want to be able to be on that same level. Full well knowing that, you know, my dog's never going to, you know, fly over a 10-foot wall. It, it, you know, they're picking up a pretty large body. So it's, it's definitely a, a, different, a different animal. And in some ways, you'll sit there and be like, wow, I wish my dog could could do that but I, I don't have you know like if, if you look at the mini bull terrier in the cage I don't know if you can oh you can't see her because she's this dog back here uh, she can climb over a, a 10 foot wall like that but she weighs 30 pounds so it's it's definitely a, a different animal you know and, and it's it's interesting to see the differences within each breed 
and I and I love those. You know, I I don't think that there's anything wrong because if somebody wants very specific things that a Malinois offers, they should have a Malinois. I personally like the home defense dog. I can have about with me that isn't going to be pacing my house and crying all day. Yeah, I agree. Well, I feel like it should be the thing that be it show, be it working. You know, if we have a working breed, if our breed is supposed to be a working breed, they should be able to compete within, you know, the show ring as well as, you know, on the field. So it's, it's my personal preference now. Uh, one thing I want to make sure that I mention is skin doesn't dictate health. The, the neos who have a lot of skin, it does not make them unhealthy. I've seen just as many neos who are very tight-skinned who are, who are sick. It's the genetics behind them. I have dogs downstairs right now who, who are typey. If you look at Bosco's, he came from a dog who was international champion in two countries. And his mom, I didn't show her because she's so dog aggressive and it would be difficult. But her sister is one of the most titled uh, show champions in the United States. And I think there was like four or uh, five other dogs within that litter who were, and both her parents were champions. I use show dogs than my dogs. But what I do is I don't line breed. I try to just keep outcrossing because I want to keep the inbred coefficiency levels percentage at a lower level. And I find that with every generation, the dog wants to go back to what is more natural for it. Because we push out those more unnatural appearance looks because that's the separations within each breed. But, you know, if you think about it and you go to somewhere like Jamaica and you look at the pariah dogs running around, those were at one point a retriever and a Springer Spaniel and maybe a Mastiff. What happened was they just, over generations, they bred to what came back to what was more natural to them. And that's kind of what I'm doing in some ways is I'm just, for me, my personal purpose and what I'm selecting towards, I just select towards what is more natural. Now, I again, have no qualms with dogs who have type or lacking type. They're all Neos to me, as long as they fit still within that standard. And, you know, like I said, the standard is very, very broad. It's it's left up to interpretation of the person who's reading it. We probably have one of the most broad standards there is, actually. <laughs> How do they handle the cold weather up there in Michigan. Fine. You know, I'm outside. We've got 30 acres, so I'm outside quite a bit with them, and I'm out walking in there. The only thing is, is just like any other dog, is I have to watch and pay attention to the feet or to breathe. I have to at least grab them and warm them up for a little while and we get going. They don't have a lot of issues with heat or cold. I don't run into a lot of problems with that. You know, I've, I've worked dogs in 90 degree weather and maybe 12. It's really me and my comfort level more than anything and where I, if I want to be out there. But they love the snow. They're, they're, you know, they're completely fine with it. Now, like right now with it being so cold, I'm not leaving them out in the outdoor runs as, as long. You know, I'm gone all day. They're not going out because they're not I think it was like the wind chill this morning was negative 10. A little chilly, 
but I'm, I'm here to tell you, I haven't really run into much acute exhaustion issues or uh, other issues. But in general, I find that we're a fairly hardy dog. The biggest thing that is probably one of the more common things within the breed is cherry eye. I also don't run into that very much, but I am very particular about the eyes. And I also know that if my dog's eyes look like they're getting an infection to start treating them, I find that I think that a lot of people have ruptures of, of the gland because there's a, an infection that goes unchecked. When you have a dog that has, a lot of people will call that haw, but that's not the haw. When you see that pink hang down, that's actually the conjunctive. It's, it's been there with every dog, but because of the skin pulling, you can see it on Neo, it's a little bit looser. The haw is actually just that very small food that's close to the eye. But what I find is that's like an open bowl, essentially. So if you're in an area that's very dusty, lots of pollen, that bowl is going to catch different organisms in it, and they could irritate the eye. So if I find that I, I see a dog that has an irritation, what do I do? I go to my kitchen, I pull out some lube, and I, I treat the eye for a couple of days. And I really don't run into any issues, but I also have bred towards a tighter, cleaner eye and less, you know, open conjunctival because of that. I prefer, you know, obviously as minimal maintenance as possible. Um, when I when I place a dog with a client, for example, I don't want to tell them, oh, you know, expect this. You're going to pay for a cherry eye. You're going to need to have the, you know, skin pulled up because it's going to have ectropion, you know. I want to sell a dog and have that dog go there and just have to go to the vets for vaccinations and a health check. So I find that, you know, that right there is an easy fix and can be fixed just with one generation. Average is between 8 and 10, which I don't like. I'm really trying to get double digits on a normal basis. I moved away from kind of the first group of dogs I was working with six, seven years ago now, and they had a little bit shorter of a lifespan. Where these guys, where Tanya's mom lived 12, almost 13, and that for me, that's kind of where I'm trying. My goals are to be around that age. I'm finding that most, it seems like between 8 and 10, they'll get osteosarcoma or some type of cancer. It's like cancer and then they're gone within six months. And that, that's that been one of the more frustrating aspects for me because I, I want longer. It could be uh, vaccinations, over-vaccinating, you know, something because that has been probably the most frustrating aspect. I really haven't ran into bloat. Um, I know that people talk about bloat a lot. I don't do anything to try to stop bloat. I feed on the ground. I have giant buckets of water when they go outside. They don't get water inside. Um, I feed one meal a day. That is, cancer has been the worst for me, and it, it seems like between 8 and 10. I have fed raw, complete raw. I've done 60, 40. Right now, I'm doing mainly kibble, mainly because of the fact that I just don't have enough hours in the day. Make sure you're getting the ratios correct. You have to make sure you're getting the proper vitamins, meat, to fat. You know, there's, there's quite a bit that goes into it if you're doing it right.
And I just, I unfortunately couldn't put in enough time in the day to make sure that I was doing that appropriately. And I, I do feed raw, but it's just not my main source of nutrition for them. So I feed low plan. Um, I do salmon and I, I consider that a middle of the way food. I, I am a big believer. I don't want to make a hothouse flower. And with that being said, I don't want dogs that have to be fed a very specific high-end food to look good. I want my dogs to be able to basically thrive on a normal environment, with a normal life, and just average food. Because that's well, 90% of home. Of course, you have those people who are going to go for $90 for a bag of food. I'm not. You know, 45 is about my limit for a bag of food. <laughs> so I feed about somewhere between 12 and 1,500 calories per day, depending on the work. Now, my dogs who are being worked heavily, I might go up to 1,800 calories. Teenagers, too. I do just pro plan. I do split a can of wet pro plan amongst the group to hide pills if I need to throw pills in once in a while. And then everyone gets eggs because I have chickens. So I do a raw egg with a shell right in the food every day. If you're cooking it, it doesn't matter, but there's an enzyme within the raw egg that will actually deplete calcium out of the dog if you're feeding it daily. So the shell counteracts that enzyme. So if you're only going to do it a couple times a week, it's no big That in the daily you know, as a food source, you want to always make sure you feed the shell. So I give it to them, egg in the shell, in their food, setting on top, and they get to break it all up all on their own. I do chicken, too. I do, if we have deer, get venison. When we're cleaning out, like, all of our last year's meat, everyone's getting, you know, meat during that time mixed in with your kibble. But I mainly feed just basic grow plants. Adults are like uh, again, it depends on the size of the dog. But like Bosco, just use him as an example. People have seen him in the videos. Bosco eats five cups of kibble a day. Five cups of kibble and a tablespoon of wet food, and I mix a little water in it. That's his meal a day. Now I have a young female who she's a little over year old. Her metabolism is working differently, and she needs a lot more food. Now, I have a Bosco son here who's six months, and he is eating eight cups a day right now. I find that between two and three, I have, you know, you back way off on the food because they're not growing as much. It's, it's always shocking to me when you think about the fact that we're asking a dog to grow the size of an adult male human in two years. They do it. Because, I mean, when you think about it, you know, a, a, a man takes 18 years to 24 years to be his weight, whatever that weight may be, his healthy weight. With Neos, we tell people it's height by two and width by three. So by three years old, they have done everything that our body does in 20. So by two to three, you back off from food and you're normally somewhere between. Most of my females eat four cups a day. They don't take a lot of food. Now I hear of people who feed 12, 14, 15 cups a day. 
night, I want to know what their dog's poop looks like because I bet you it looks like water soup cans because you're feeding them so much. Sure, a dog will eat it. But do you truly need to feed them so much? Because I see a lot of obese dogs running around. And it's part, I, I warranty my dogs. I put a two-year health contract on them. And the one thing that I can tell you that voids a contract is finding a dog that's obese. Because how am I going to warranty, warranty your dog's hips and elbows if your dog is carrying an extra 30 to 40 pounds on those hips and elbows? I find that a lot of that, again, goes to genetics. When you think about humans, it's more, you know, you can see people who are great and who eat like crap. And people who eat great like crap. It's, I think it's very similar with dogs, you know, if you're selecting towards a more athletic animal and you, you give them enough nutrients, you know, and, and you don't overfeed them, they're, they're going to they're gonna look healthy. And I'm happy with ProPlan. I know a lot of people, they don't like Purina, but I, I, was, I was struggling with finding a kibble that worked for my entire group of dogs because I don't really want to buy three or four bags of kibble. I found that ProPlan was one of the only kibbles that I could feed to everyone that everyone seemed like they were happy on. Coats-wise, I would have to say I probably had less dander than I did just straight raw, but I also had a very hard time keeping a good weight on with just raw. I find with, I would say it's the Italians, they have to have carbohydrates. So, you know, pasta. So, and that's what I did. I, to, to keep on a little bit of additional weight, I would have to throw in pasta or rice. And if you're feeding rice, then you have to blend it or you're overcooking it because you have to explode it because they can't digest rice in the way that we digest it. So it just, it's definitely a process to feed raw. And I believe that that's why um, most have gone towards the meal is because they do have such a, a deep, hard body. And then on top of it, just temperament-wise, they all feel a lot. Um, and if you can look under the skin, because that's what I tell people, you know, I, I'm not scared of the skin. I look under it, and then I, I use it accordingly if it has the, the body that I'm after. The structure is so important, and I look for a solid, structured dog, and then I outcross, you know, within my breed, and, and they go back to what is more natural. They, they have a nice, strong bite, and um, it's, it, I think it surprises people. Some of the dogs, I find it, it really depends on, on that dog. Some of them, at first, are a little bit more defensive, but so you have to kind of find how they work. And you have to make sure that you don't bring out the dark side of it and that, that they understand why we're doing it. And then we have to fully bomb-proof them because I find that a lot of people go out and they work dogs inappropriately, mastiffs, neos. They, they want to see them really come unglued and really be, be hard and sharp. And, and then you expect to take them back home and the dog doesn't even understand what happened. So you, you have to go through the process, and you, I always tell people, if you're going to train with personal protection, especially with mastiffs, if you're going to open that door, you have to fully walk through it and shut it. Because you know, this isn't a 50-pound a, a dog. This is a 150-pound dog. And if you're teaching them to bite people, you need to teach them when it's appropriate to bite. 